watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the binge. And watch a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte and we have three movies once again for you this week. Can you ever forgive me? Mid-90s and Wildlife. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Jason, what's going on with you? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, This past weekend was quite a celebratory weekend uh, for me, uh, because it was the wedding weekend of uh, former guest host, friend of the show, Andrew Hamp. Uh, A Hamp. Yep. Hamp got married. Uh, it was a lovely wedding in the Presidio here in the city uh, since Andrew and his now husband, mm-hmm. Brian, relocated to the Bay Area after spending many years in New York. Uh, so it was a great thing. Andrew and I go back to college together. And when we were in college, let's just say that neither of us would have just been like, okay, yeah, great. If you had told us that we both be gay married in 13 years. <laughs> uh, but uh, why? Why not? Uh, well, Andrew was closeted and, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and I was evangelical Christian going to ex-gay group meetings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. um, so the question is, why didn't you two get married? Really? (laughs) You know, we were destined to be friends. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's, it was just really a beautiful kind of full circle moment to be standing with him in the city where we now both live. Um, you know, me with my husband, him marrying his uh, various friends, loved ones from all through the years gathered together. Uh, it was just a lovely occasion. Um, if you're asking yourself, Jason, how did you ruin it? Uh, here's how. So uh, it was, as I anticipated, quite a dance floor uh, at mm. this at this wedding. Andrew can really uh, cut a rug. Andrew does. He he cuts loose. Um, he has had a for as long as I've known him, just a remarkable sort of just like sweaty diva energy when he's on the floor Mm, he has a good wiggle he has quite a wiggle there's hands Mm. there is you know there is master lip syncing of all songs there Mm. is perhaps a knowledge of the choreography from the Mm. videos of said songs uh it's all there and he has not even an ounce of shame about any of it no uh which is inspiring so i was on the floor as well for parts of it and uh, and once I got out there, I kind of stayed out there for maybe the second half of the night. And um, and let me tell you something about me whenever I'm drunk. <laughs> uh, when I'm drunk, I have a tendency to sing. Yes. You know this about me. I do. There is a delightful photo of you grimacing at me singing at Pride mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, granted, was an especially egregious occurrence because in that case, there was no actual music. No. There was just me and another drunk homosexual screaming the words to, and I'm telling you, I'm not going. Should that be the cover of this week's episode, that photo of me grimacing at you? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, are the fans really love that photo. <laughs> <laughs> the fans were coming out in droves to uh, to celebrate your face. It's on not your Instagram, me. right? Yes, it is. What is your Instagram handle? Excess Faggage, okay. and it is not a private account, so anyone can see it. Uh, and uh, yes, and to be clear, the fans liked your face. <laughs> your face was what gave in the comments on that one, that not is. this guy. So, um, but yeah, so I am a sing, singing person whenever I'm drunk. Um, I can do when I'm sober too, but when I'm drunk, I lose all sense of my volume. Yes. Yes. You know this as well. And, um, and so, and the, uh, so the, the wedding was actually DJed by, um, by a gentleman named Rod, who is also a musician who records under the name Bright Light, Bright Light. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome sort of dance pop stuff. And um, and he was DJing with the, just the most relentless playlist I have ever experienced mm. in terms of like every song was just like a dance pop anthem that was both like super high energy and also nostalgic. Mm. Um, and it was like it was it was the kind of thing where you couldn't even carry on conversation with anyone longer than like the length of a song because then the next song would come on and you would all go. Ah! and then run onto the dance floor <laughs> um so since a little the, since you've been gone a little since you've been gone uh yeah I, that probably happened at one point or another uh you know it was you know taking it back taking it back to whitney and all mm-hmm. you know and you know when there's whitney i think it started with whitney and i was like oh shit this thing's gonna be mm-hmm. lit so uh yeah i since all the songs are anthems are super well known i uh, decided to sing 
all the songs very loudly um, because I was feeling them, you know, I was mm. feeling them. And also I'm just like, I can carry a tune. You should all be so lucky to hear my versions of these songs. So I am just fully shout singing every single word, feeling like, oh, I am, I am killing this. And then I would start to wonder why some people would sort of like maybe dance a few feet away uh, when I like come bearing down on them um, with my like <laughs> full like freight train singing. Um, and, uh, and I was like, huh, well, I guess they uh, want to go dance over there. Um, so were you drunk enough that, were you not drunk enough that you noticed this at the time? It was something I did not know, think about until the next morning. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was so, yeah, I mean, I am definitely somebody where the next morning after any sort of like big drunk gathering, I wake up and begin to berate myself for the things that I did that were perhaps embarrassing. Shame spiral. Yeah. Shame spiral every time without question. Um, so my shame spiral, I was like, oh, I don't actually know that I'd like said anything embarrassing to anyone. But then I just kept examining and examining and playing it back. And I was like, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are moments where I'd like dance up to someone singing and being like, hey, and then they would just kind of back away. And I'm just like, oh, where are you going? <laughs> uh, and that was probably because I was shout singing. And, it, and honestly, to this day, I probably wouldn't have put it together except for toward the very end of the night. Um, there was some gay who I had met for the first time this weekend and I went to get say goodbye to him and, uh, and I was like, Oh, nice to meet you. Uh, fun dancing. And he's like, yeah, you have a very clear tenor voice. <laughs> wow. And I was like, Oh yeah. Well, sorry about that. He's like, no, it's fine. I'm, wow. I'm like, Oh, okay. That is some, that is some professional level you know, uh, what is it? What would shade. you call that? Yeah, shade. Huh? Yeah, he's a city gay. That's good. Hey, you run into that Milo guy? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, he was there, and we did not talk. Mm-hmm. I did point him out to many people. <laughs> <laughs> I basically ran from person to person, like that's him. Uh, <laughs> you sound like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so invite me to your wedding. <laughs> Weirdly, I don't get invited to very many these days. <laughs> this is my only one this year. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, the Milo guy was there um, with his boyfriend who did not make good in his threat to show up as a new drag character named Curry Bradshaw. Uh, that was left behind, fortunately. And I also saw the woman who sat silently next to him oh, while he yeah. said those horrible things. Mm-hmm. And I merely exchanged waves with each of them. Um, and did not talk to them. Nice. There were what? moments when I was like drunkenly like, oh, I should just go say hi to that guy. And we had like some good times that day. You should have sung at him. I know. You I... need to weaponize your But in my mind, weapon. in my mind, I'm just like, oh, but in, you know, my voice is a gift. <laughs> I shouldn't give a gift to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. 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 So, uh, but yeah, that is how that all went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but despite my best efforts, the whole wedding went off beautifully it was a lovely, lovely, lovely evening, capped a beautiful weekend of fun. Uh, and then the next night, Andrew and Brian and I went to go see Christina Aguilera's first U.S. tour since the Bush years. Nice. So, Congratulations, you two. Yes, much love from us at the binge. Mm-hmm. Muzzle uh, tough. Rebecca, what's up with you? You know, it's been a rough week uh, in one aspect of, of my life, which is uh, the inevitable uh, indecision and panic spiral. Mm-hmm. Of my own that happens right before Halloween. Sure, sure. Now the good thing is that that's the only bad thing happening right now. Yeah, can you so, believe it? So I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's, at least it can in the your... world things are terrible, <laughs> but like in my one, in my tiny, yeah. tiny little sphere, you can have your full attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if I may, you know, complain about something that is important. Of course. Uh, you're like, yeah, it's called. It's how are I, you? What's up with you? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so every year, uh, so I don't really care about Halloween, and I feel weird dressing up all the time uh this kind of goes back to the whole i'm an adult thing i definitely like it's it it strums the same note mm, you know pushes the same button yeah that's what it does uh it hits the same key anyway um right. double clicks the same mouse always but like i'm surrounded by people who do like it so for years we've had to go to parties and i one year i didn't go in costume and everyone berated me mm. and then i kind of like leaned into this taco costume which i wore right. year after year after year after year um yes. because i could wear my normal clothes underneath and like it was people thought it was funny and then i was like oh that's maybe not the best uh, look <laughs> i See, I see what why everyone's laughing, um, and so and so now um, the woman that I'm dating likes Halloween, so part of me is like, okay, you take the reins, I'll do whatever, but here are my parameters. It has to be pretty much normal clothes. Mm. Um, here so are my parameters: no costume. <laughs> so, but whatever you want, I'm just not wearing a costume. <laughs> Last year, I think was like the the peak 
uh, situation where I was a priest. I basically wore a black dress shirt and black pants and uh, right. just a little tiny white, you know, piece of paper in the collar that I could take off when I was in public. Right. Um, it was amazing. It was like my dream costume. Yes. And also, who doesn't like sexy priests? Oh, I mean, well, that's a whole different yes. conversation, right? Well, go everyone, go back to Keep our back. go back to our novitiate review for further uh, <laughs> insights on Rebecca's uh, sexualized Catholicism. Yes. Um. So, uh, this year once again the struggle, and so we had thought we decided on sorry to bother you, um, as a costume because it it has that thing where it's like pretty much normal clothes except like one unique accessory that you could like kind of take on and off for. Um, so you can have like the big earrings, uh, if you're Detroit and you can have the headband with the, with the blood stain on mm-hmm. it. Then we found out, uh, you know, much to our dismay on multiple levels that a lot, a lot of people have seen the movie. So we're like, okay, well that's going to be hard. Um, and then I got this genius idea to be, have you ever seen brother nature? No. Uh, he's this guy that was like a vine star and like a Twitter star. And he's this, uh, like, I don't know, 20 year old, he kind of has these deer that he feeds in his backyard and now he's kind of become a little bit of a star and he goes and visits other animals and it's like the cutest thing because he he'll, he has like a deer named Canela and he'll be like, Canela, come here, my girl, like eat the, eat like, Aww. you know, wear this gold chain, you're flexing for the gram. It's like, in, in it's like the cutest thing you've ever seen. That's precious. And then uh, he has, his most famous one is where he goes up to this group of deer and he has, because he brings all this like fruit and he has this one where he's like, Rebecca, Rebecca, eat your grapes. And uh, he, has, he gives this deer a bag of grapes. And um, so everyone sent it to me when it, when it became a thing. And I've eaten so many grapes. Um, so I thought it'd be funny if um, my girlfriend was him and I was Rebecca the deer. And the bag of, I was really willing to go full deer makeup. Like wow. Instagram tutorials that make you look like a Snapchat filter. Wow. Intense. And, and you were believing that more people would recognize this costume yes than the sorry to bother you costume yes i which i'm realizing now might also not be true and you also secretly were worried that the sorry to bother you costume was just another way for boots rally to wreck you your know how i feel about yeah about that yeah the day before we're about to like get the just a handful of accessories we need you know deer makeup antlers <laughs> Basics. Bl- bag of grapes <laughs> <laughs> just the go-to's article comes out huffington post is that they found this, this guy like tweeted a bunch of like anti-Semitic uh, racist things. I mean, the thing is, he did it when he was like 12 because he's like 20 now. So he started mm. he got a Twitter account when he was like 12. Okay. Like it stopped a long time ago. He gave up an apology right. and like, I don't know, said he was going to do something, which like I'm totally on board with that apology yeah. and ownership and like who didn't say dumb shit when they were 12. Right. But and I feel God like it's a bad look. We oh my God. Thank God. Thank God. I would I'm, have been. I mean, let's be real. Like we all go through that, like you know, sort of twelve, thirteen year old period where you're like, I'm gonna start pushing boundaries and mm-hmm. saying shocking shit. Yep. Um. Yep. And um. And God have mercy on all those of you who had that period happen on the public record. Yeah. Uh, Every online. single person is going to end up being milkshake ducked. Yeah. At some point, it's gonna be tough. Everyone. Um, so that costume is out and, uh, now I think we're back to, sorry to bother you because we couldn't mm. think of anything. I was literally like, how about we both just be my cat? And I was like, how about you be me and I'll be my cat. And I, I was just like, I'm so bad at this. I was like, I don't know what, what if we're both one single grape? I don't know. <laughs> you're like, wait, how about I be you and you be me? And then you can finally do her accent. Like you're always wanting to. <laughs> we were like, she was looking at H and M. I think I was like, okay, what if you buy? Th- what if you buy that wig and just some different clothes and like you just go as somebody else? And she was like, like, but who? Like, what's the costume? I was like, no, you, you just like the the goal would be to make sure that nobody in the party knows who you are. Right. She's like, that's not what a co- costume is. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how this works. And I'll, so. I'll point out again that you do have an open invitation to join mine and Scott's glow costume yes. in your already ready Mark Marin outfit. Uh, uh, you wouldn't even have to do anything. It'd be I the know. easiest costume. It'd be your dream come true because it's no, wearing normal clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all you have to do is like get a fake mustache mm-hmm. and maybe put some salt and pepper makeup in your hair. Thank you. And that's exactly because it's, it's, it's a rich, lustrous black on its own. Uh, so it'd be the easiest thing. And and uh, and Soul could just like, I mean, have have go to go to town. There are twenty five people. So to choose many from. things to choose from. Uh, so, but, uh, but say, you know, just for the record, it's there on the table. I hear you. I hear you. Let me think about it. Let me think about it. And you know what our plan, and Andrew and Brian are going to be with us. So oh, we could shit. all be together at Oasis on Saturday night. Okay. Okay. Could be fun. I'm going to guess you're going to sing. So <laughs> probably not. <laughs> 
it's a gift. Your voice? Uh, <laughs> let's get to the movies, shall we? Let's uh, do it. The, that's why we hang out and do... The reason we do this podcast is because uh-huh. every time we hang out, we're doing... Uh, we're watching movies, so you can't sing. Um, so, the first movie this week, uh, which we did not see together, but we did both see, uh, which is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Our pick of the week. Celebrity biographer Lee Israel makes her living profiling the likes of Katherine Hepburn, Tallulah Bankhead, and Fanny Bryce. When Lee is no longer able to get published because she has fallen out of step with current tastes, she turns her art form to deception, abetted by her loyal friend Jack. I'm embellishing literary letters by prominent writers. I love his writing. Particularly clever, don't you think? Caustic wit. (laughs) This is quite something. He's a wonderful. I thought so too. Name your price. You were looking at one month's rent. What are we gonna do? Gamble, shop, drink. What seems to be the problem? So here we have the much anticipated follow up from the Happy Time Murders. <laughs> the last movie starring Melissa McCarthy. Oy. Can you ever forgive me? Yes. Which I feel like is just what she's saying after the Happy Time Murders. Right. This is basically Melissa McCarthy's message after both Happy Time Murders and Life of the Party. Mm-hmm. Her back to back singers this year. Can you ever forgive me? And uh, the question, well, the answer to that question, now we've both seen it, is I would say, uh, yeah. Bitch, we did. This does it. Mm-hmm. This does it. This was, there was a lot riding on this exactly because of those movies. So that was kind of like all of the, uh, you know, trend pieces that started to come out, all the thing pieces at like the end of August that were like, Melissa McCarthy has destroyed her career this year. Um, and she has to really come through on this prestige movie she has coming out where she's playing against type. And if she doesn't, then, you know, like, who knows what's going to happen. But she comes through. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a performance. I mean, this is a, a performance of, um, in a way that I think that, you know, it's a subject matter. You know, oftentimes we, we review these movies and you're like, I'm not going to pretend to be a subject matter expert on this. And you're not going to, you know, do that thing. But this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, reclusive lesbians um, with cats, with cats uh, uh, that are uh, grumpy and uh, antisocial and hard drinking. And these are these are have, your people have annoying gay male friends who mm-hmm. might casually betray them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is you are the ex. You're the Stephen Hawking of this of this character. You're so so. Oh, I'm sorry. I am. You're you're not the expert on this character. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> No, you are. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this, is, this is who you've studied your whole life. I will say that I went to the movie, uh, which we should note is um, directed by Marielle Heller. This is her follow-up mm-hmm. to The Diary of a Teenage Girl, mm-hmm. which was one of my absolute favorite movies of that year. Um, and the st- That family, man. Yeah. The music by Nate Heller, yep. her brother, and yep. then the, uh, Emily Heller, the comedian, is uh, her sister. I did not realize that. Is that yeah, true? It's true. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. We went and saw Emily Heller, right? Yeah. yeah. We did see Emily Heller. We were very drunk, but we went. Mm-hmm. They're from the Bay Area, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I, that would make sense because I know Marielle Heller is married to Yorma Taccone from Lonely mm-hmm, Island, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. and they, of course, are Berkeley boys, but... Uh, and I think the screenplay is actually co-written by Nicole Holoff Center uh, of uh, Friends with Money, Please Give, all those great um, Catherine Keener movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so I did not know going into this movie that it was going to be basically a celebration of like misanthropic, misanthropic, yeah. <laughs> misanthropic middle-aged queer friendship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, because and here we are. And here we are. We're just a, maybe a few years off if we're being generous to ourselves <laughs> from being able to be check off the one remaining box in that list that we're not already. Um, so yeah, Melissa McCarthy's character, Lee Israel, is a lesbian. Um, and, uh, and she sort of makes un- an unlikely friendship in this uh, aging bon vivant dandy played with great relish. By Richard E. Grant, mm-hmm. uh, who previously made a cameo on our show vis-a-vis my recollections of his shade about tea with the dames. Yes, yes, <laughs> And despite yes. all of that, is married to a woman <laughs> in real life. Uh, but uh, this story is so specific. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a story that you wouldn't necessarily think would make an interesting movie. Because really, it's just about a woman who is down on her luck job-wise, mm-hmm. who comes up with something illegal to do, 
um, that she winds up being really good at that draws on her strengths, her talents, her interests, um, and, you know, forging the personal letters of notable people, um, which are collected by, uh, at great uh, top dollar on the market. And uh, it's like this whole world that, like, the average person has no idea even exists. This right, world of, like, the collector's market of, of, right, of personal effects and personal letters and archival letters and things like that. Right, because it's, like, incredibly niche and incredibly, like, inaccessible for a lot of people, right? <laughs> like, who has money to spend on, right. uh, yeah, Noel Coward original note? It is white nonsense uh, <laughs> defined. <laughs> it is white nonsense. <laughs> And it's it's like queer white nonsense where it's like, oh, we yeah. don't even have kids. We have extra money. Absolutely. And, you know, and Noel Coward, of course, was uh, was gay. And so and, and you know, a lot of these figures that they're collecting letters of. I think there was like an Oscar Wilde thing that she tries mm. to replicate at some point. Or there was maybe, I don't remember maybe, that, but I, maybe they just quote Oscar Wilde or maybe it's yes. like Noel Coward's quoting Oscar Wilde or something. Yeah, and, I think it, I think that's what it is. Yeah. And then because there's like, oh, there's some that's like and I think that might be one of the things where she like trips up because they're like, oh, but he would never would have done this. So, uh, yeah. So it, it takes place in New York in like the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and I would say it really... It's been a minute, huh? It's uh, definitely in the 90s. <laughs> it, is it? Yeah, I thought it's it was like... 90s. It's like 1991 or 93 or something like that. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I think, when I think of 91, I, I'm just like, that's basically still the 80s. Uh, mm, mm, but, mm. Uh, but yeah, so... But technically. <laughs> but technically, it is the 90s. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, but yes, so it takes place in... Uh, yeah, and I, I will acknowledge at this point... All three movies we're reviewing this week, I have not seen in over a month there we um, go. <laughs> since uh, since I was a TIFF. Ding, ding, this ding. This one I can keep you honest on. The other two you can might yes. as well make up as you go the along. The other two Rebecca was not able to see. Um, and also, I would like to blame um, my lack of preparedness this week on the fact that I just came from a screening of the new Suspiria uh, remake, which is almost three hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was going to have a whole hour that, it's okay. That I did not get. No, it's okay. Because that fucking it's movie. It's okay. It's okay. We'll talk about that one next week. Schindler's okay. List length. Uh, it's okay. My God. So. It's okay. So it takes place in the 90s. And I think that it, it's a, it, it's captured something, something else I, I, I didn't expect, which is like that New York transitioning between the New York of people who still remember a New York from the 60s and 70s and yes. then the New York of like now. So it's like it's right at that cusp period. Yes. And I, I feel like it captured that really well in a way where I was like, I didn't even know that was something that needed to be captured. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it also it kind of pays homage to that with some of the casting choices and some mm-hmm. of the smaller parts. For instance, um, <clears throat> the great queer actor Stephen Spinella is in the film as one of the uh, buyers. He... Um, oh, right, he, origi- right. he originated America, uh, Angels in America. Mm-hmm. Um, the the stunning, legendary trans cabaret performer Justin Vivian Bond mm. appears in a cabaret mm-hmm. number looking mm-hmm. just more gorgeous than ever. Uh, so there's a lot of nods um, to that era, and I think it really does evoke it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. even just, you know, without really belaboring the whole, like, oh, there were no cell phones thing, like... It just, it, yeah, it just, it just captures that era, I think, beautifully. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because they're they're also both older characters, mm-hmm. and they're also working in a world that is already kind of out of date by ninety one. So yeah. she's going and like buying antique typewriters and things. So it's mm-hmm. like really a really weird kind of like time time view. Like they're they're not like the hippest coolest people. So right. they're not like at the cutting edge That's of nineties. Um, and then they're also like doing something of like they're capturing letters that were made. 40 yeah. years before then so it's, right. it's, it's an interesting uh like period of time no that's true yeah because i mean they are already out of touch and out of date in an era uh that even if they had been now would look hilariously out of touch and out of date right, right. uh so Which i think is what made made it easy to get lost in it because mm. it wasn't that it was trying to paint the 90s in a way where no. you're like oh this is or this isn't um which takes right. you back to that movie with jenny slate where you're like oh this movie oh, is trying to be the 90s right this is landline like kind of almost sidesteps time altogether because of all the factors yeah i think that's true uh so it also uh makes it you know interesting in terms of the queerness of its characters Mm. and the way that that's contextualized by the time uh because uh melissa mccarthy's character and granted it's still like it's new york so it's Mm -hmm. not like you know it's not like it's in the midwest in 1991 Mm. um but uh you're like tell me about it Mm -hmm. but uh but you know like melissa mccarthy's character lee uh, gets a crush, sort of this this adorable, poignant kind of crush on a, on a, one of the women at one of the bookstores who is buying back her letters. Even though Lee is also deceiving her, and just the kind of like 
the way that Lee has to kind of read between the lines or kind of like try to like, you know, just do like the mind reading to be like, are we saying the same thing? Are we interested? It felt very relatable because I feel like New York 1991 is the same as Cleveland 1999. And Mm. that was the same feeling. Right. It's a very, very similar feeling. Yeah, where you Um, can't just, yeah, it's not, it's not yet. Even by New York standards in 91, it still wasn't that out in the open especially just, for lesbians right it's not like you're gonna just go cruising to some club right yeah you can't just find out they want to have sex with you because you meet at a place where they're already having sex with right. you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's gay privilege um and uh and then you know sort of likewise for um richard e grant's character jack uh you know coming out of you know in 1991 their you know the mm-hmm. aids uh, epidemic was still in a hundred percent full swing Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that was around the time that it was starting to crest a bit more into mainstream recognition acknowledgement uh, and uh, and so that's kind of gives his character this kind of extra I don't know this kind of armor an armor of like mm-hmm. fabulosity where he's like the shit that I have gone through mm-hmm. in the last mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. like I'm unkillable yeah uh, you know like he's he's afraid of nothing yeah and it also really you know um, frames the uh, sort of a reasoning for why he's so willing to to like uh, latch on to her and why their friendship was so special because you feel like he has nobody left and he's kind of mm-hmm. like an orphan in the world yeah um and but he still has a bit of that like excitement and kick uh, yeah. of his personality yeah it also explains the extent to which he self-medicates with alcohol mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he is a, he is a hundred percent lush mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh lee is uh, a biographer published and her agent is jane Curtin. that's right who won't get her any new work because she won't uh you know she won't sell she won't create things that are appeal uh, appealing to the mass public like another person represented by uh jane Curtin's character tom clancy oh <laughs> There's a lot of Tom Clancy <laughs> compa- right. comparisons. Tom Clancy gets dragged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, Lee has this, you know, integrity, and she wants to keep writing these biographies, and uh, everything's falling apart. Rent's past due. Her cat is sick, um, and she learns kind of by accident that people will buy um, these mementos and signed letters and other notions uh, from celebrities. And she kind of is, you know, hard on her luck and sells the things that she has, mm-hmm. and then comes to learn that she can forge these things and yes. this is all based on uh, a memoir yeah, this is based on a true story mm-hmm. um and you know starts to go down this path is really good at it and it becomes fun and exciting and she works with jack on uh getting these letters out until eventually here's the thing it's a small world that uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a small group of people and once you yeah. uh you tip somebody off that you're selling fakes people talk people talk people talk and your reputation is everything uh you because it, it is an honors code basically it's an mm-hmm. honor system where it's like well yeah like we are going to believe this is real because we can't you know fully verify it mm-hmm. um so uh and, and at that point the movie becomes much more suspenseful than i had anticipated it really does i was like sweating i was like oh shit uh, you know, because like all all the while you're like, well, the stakes are so low. What could possibly there's I mean, is this even a crime? It turns out. Yes. Yes. It's actually uh, <laughs> it's something actually that the crime. FBI is interested in. Yeah. So things Lee gets in over her head uh, and uh, and all along, Melissa McCarthy is giving a performance that despite sounding maybe the way we're talking about her sounds like Melissa McCarthy characters we've seen before. Just being like cantankerous and mm-hmm. salty and and you know foul, like she plays. She, I mean, she underplays. Like she, it's mm-hmm. it's it's like <clears throat> it's like flipping a switch, and it's a whole different Melissa McCarthy that you get in this movie, mm-hmm. where you you can see her like br- keeping it down, keeping it pitched so much farther down um, than she would in one of her big studio comedies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, physically, especially. Mm-hmm, yeah, physically, she is yeah fully deglammed. Um, and, uh, you know, and she is, I mean, yeah, I mean, she's heartbreaking in this movie and it's, you know, she registers a lot of authentic emotion throughout. There's not a false note in the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also, um, shortly before the movie started, Rebecca, uh, you sent me a picture of the, uh, of the, uh, sort of like the placeholder image that was up on the screen before the movie started, which is a photo the official poster of the film, which is Melissa McCarthy sitting at a desk with a cat. That looks not unlike my cat, Teacup. And so Rebecca sent me this and she was like, well played. Um, <laughs> and then she began asking me questions right away about the cat and things that might happen to the cat in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, how are you holding up? 
Doing okay. okay. Uh, went into it fully aware uh, that the cat dies. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, it did, you know, I was taken out of the movie a little bit because every scene, because um, it's also kind of like that because a cat gets sick early in the movie. So I think there are a lot of, even if I wasn't un- mm-hmm. hyper aware of this, I'd, right. you're like, is the cat dead? But I was definitely yeah. like, oh, that cat's dead. Oh, yeah. that cat's dead. And then it's yeah. a, it was hard to, to lose myself in it a little bit. Um, which, which, you know, also you could protect yourself and not have the epic meltdown that would have hurt otherwise. Definitely have had. Because the scene in question is a real heartbreaker. It really is. It's it feels so, so very real. So real. It's and one of the most realistic. Emotion, yeah. Dead it, cat scenes I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, so fair warning to all of you. Um, that does happen in this movie. Uh, and but it is it's sort of like the you know cat dying equivalent of like when a character is introduced and coughs right away. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, it's yeah. definitely the the coughing into the the yeah. um the hand. Yeah, it's like oh, in, in fun fact, um, we'll review it next week, I think. But in Bohemian Rhapsody, the very first thing Freddie Mercury does in the movie is cough. <laughs> nice. Granted, no surprise there that he does kick over. Yeah, but, definitely. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so fair warning to cat lovers out there that this is a movie that uh, that does uh, betray your trust in that regard. But um, do you feel like it's still worth seeing, even if uh, even with that uh, that oh, trauma? Absolutely. Yeah, this was this was uh, n- very low on the scale of cat traumas, uh, animal traumas. There's no lean on Pete. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, actually, that's where I got scared when I was like, "No, I should be okay." And you were like, "The last time you said that was lean on Pete," where I fucking lost it i lost it yeah. so hard that movie I, yeah i've never seen you, you more distraught it was i upsetting. was worried you were going to wreck your car on the way home yeah and uh i i don't know it just didn't have that same effect. i mean i didn't i was like i don't care about horses and right. i was just like right. <laughs> who knew surprise i learned a little something about myself that's what good cinema does yes it teaches you what right. animals you do yeah that movie really yeah. helped you helped you grow as a person i mm-hmm. think yeah. you're like it's not the movie's fault <laughs> it doesn't make it a bad movie <laughs> Uh, um, so yeah, in this case, it's uh, it's the cat, and it was it was it's you know it's right there in the art, and so just brace yourself for it now. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Rebecca's here to tell you, as the number one cat lover that I know, it's still worth seeing still even worth with that. Seeing. What I like most about this movie is is the way that it's about how Lee Israel is having a really hard time being true to herself and being able to make a living. Hmm. She wants to make these biographies of Fanny Bryce, uh, some newest one she's working on, and it's 1991 and nobody cares. Nobody wants it. Yeah. Um, and she she doesn't want to, you know, once again, like the Tom Clancy comparison comes up. She doesn't want to like create things that are pandering. She doesn't want to go work for anybody else. She has mm-hmm. a heart. It starts off with her in an office and she's yes. just like upsetting everyone. That was hilarious. <laughs> she like will, does not want to conform to any or compromise to any sort of social norm. Mm-hmm. And as she starts to do these letters, uh, she what she likes about herself is her like wit and her um, like acerbic uh, takedowns. Mm-hmm. And and as she starts to write these in the in voices of people like um, Dorothy Parker, Dorothy Parker uh, and Noel Coward, mm-hmm. um, where she she like feels it's almost like that if you felt like you were born in a different time yeah. kind of thing. And 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 she like writes these letters uh and is like waiting to see what the buyers like. Did you think that was funny? Like, right. like they are like, oh my god, this is like classic Dorothy Parker. How right. funny! She's a genius, mm-hmm. and she's like really getting a high off that because it's it's yeah. her. So she found this like weird narrow path where she was able to do what she wanted to do. Yeah. When she eventually has to sort of like speak to what she's done, mm-hmm. um, she she like again like with no no uh, acceptance of social norms, just is like, well, this was actually the best time of my life, and <laughs> uh, I guess it was wrong, but I've never been happier, and yeah. I've never felt more free, which yeah. was a re- which is a really interesting thing. Yeah, I I remember thinking that too. I thought there's something kind of radical about this movie, the way that it's like you can still be proud of something you're good at, even if everyone tells you it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not in that way where you're like, oh, he's the cheeky criminal that right. everyone loves in no. like a, in like a very w- twisted way. Yeah. It's a very, per- it's very perverse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in a really just sort of like radical affirming way that like, it's like, yeah, like she can still be proud of it. Like she found something she's really good at. And, you know, even though it was technically illegal to then sell that thing, she was fucking good at it. Yeah. And I think it's just one of those things where, especially if it's like a midlife story like this one, to just surprise yourself and yeah. to find something new that you're good at. So what, should, what, kind of, what kind of shenanigans should we start getting into, Jason? Hmm. Let's see. I feel like I could start, you know, maybe fudging some uh, little fair memoirs from like the minor <laughs> players. It's like, oh, did you hear the, you know, 
Sean Colvin has a memoir coming out about her Lowell Fair years or you know I feel like I could do letters between the ladies to each ah. other at Lowell Fair like we should start like a Twitter account that's little notes l- yeah little notes from li- Lilith notes <laughs> little Lilith notes so you're giving this one a binge it I am I'm giving it a binge Rebecca how about you I am too this feels like when I walked out of there the feeling is oh it's fall movie season mm, mm-hmm. you know it just feels cozy you want to like Roll up to Cedar Lee Theater in Cleveland <laughs> with a bunch of like um, middle-aged white people driving their Subarus with a John Kerry sticker still on it. Yep. Uh, and a bunch of uh, gays with nothing to do. Mm. And watch this. I miss 2004. White nonsense. <laughs> um, I'm also giving it a binge it and it's rated R for language including sexual references and brief drug use. It also made my TIFF top 10 this year. The TTT. It did. Triple okay. T. Movie number two, Jason, is mid-90s. In 1990s Los Angeles... 13-year-old Stevie escapes his turbulent home life by hanging out with a new group of friends he meets at a local skate shop, plunging him into a world of fun, danger, and excitement. Oh my god, I'm skating like shit today, man. Look, what I'm Ruben. Stevie. How long have you been friends with those guys? A couple months. They're really cool. They're so cute. You're like at the age before guys become dicks. You think you're pretty cool. You good? Your ghetto ass friends. You're just a little kid. So this will be the third skateboarding movie uh, we've covered in the past, what, two months? Month? It is, and we did once again try getting Heidi Weber to return to the show um, to review this with us uh, since she was so uh, dismissive of the the suggestion that there could even be another skating movie Mm -hmm. after the two that she joined us for. But booyah, Heidi, there is. Sadly, she couldn't join us. So it's just us and kind of just me since Rebecca wasn't able to see this one. Um, But I will do my best. I will still judge it. And this is the least. uh, I feel like the other two were much more intensely about skating. Mm. uh, In a way, this one is less. So Skate Kitchen was like... Well, actually, yeah. Wait, one was a documentary about right. people who were skateboarders, and then right. the other one was a was a fiction starring people who starring were skateboarders in actual skateboarding collective. So, yeah. so this, this is pure drama. Yes, this is just a movie. Thank mm-hmm. God. <laughs> Man, what and a movie, just a movie. No, they just make movies anymore these days. So this is uh, a movie. It is the <laughs> the writing directorial debut of Jonah Hill. And it is uh, inspired by his own upbringing huh. uh, in L.A. in the mid-90s. That was his upbringing? Uh, yeah, he, he has said so. Yeah, that he, uh, yeah, growing up, that, that was kind of where he found his first sense of, like, community and self and acceptance uh, and rebellion and all the things that happened in this movie hmm. uh, is uh, from, yeah, finding some, like, clique of skaters uh, to hang out with. Interesting. Yes. Uh, this movie is kind of um, it's kind of a great counterpart to eighth grade uh, in mm. a lot of ways because you know as this kid is the same age he's thirteen and um, you know in this kind of you know similarly is about that very specific coming of age that happens um, you know at sort of puberty um, and you know in the case of eighth grade and Kayla uh, you know it was much more um, you know sort of small and sad and poignant and. In the case of this boy, uh, it is surprisingly uh, kind of brutal and intense. Mm. Uh, it's kind of about, in the same way that Kayla's was about sort of like budding femininity, this is much more about budding masculinity. Um, and there's few things that are worse to experience <laughs> than masculinity when it's first hatching from its egg. Um, and just, you know, so we see this, this, this remarkable young actor who plays the protagonist in this film goes on quite a journey from being this kind of very just adorable, very tiny looking little kid um, to being a holy fucking terror uh, Mm. uh, by the end. Uh, And it is not always easy to watch. So this is not, this movie is going, it hits a lot harder than you're thinking it's going to. Hmm. Um, It's not, it's not just like this, some like stoner comedy about like a bunch of dipshit teenagers skateboarding in LA in the nineties. It's definitely the impression I got. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. it's a lot more than that. It kind of tells you right away that's going to be more than that because it opens with a fairly startling scene of the kid getting beat up by his big brother, mm. who's played by Lucas Hedges. Where uh, does he find the time? MVP of the fall movie season. Uh, and uh, in, in this movie, he is uh, just, he's supporting. 
unlike the other two movies he had at TIFF this year where he was playing lead, oh. uh, which are Ben is back and Boy Erased. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, he is playing supporting. He is the big brother. He is playing a teenager. Uh, and he is styled like every single crap guy I had a crush on mm-hmm. in my own school in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Just a tall, pasty white guy, white guy wearing Tommy Hilfiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man, oh, man, was that my type. <laughs> uh, and uh, and he nails it. Uh, so and then they have a young uh, a young mother uh, who's played by Catherine Waterston, uh, oh. s- single mother. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, just, so it's really, it's just, uh, like, can you ever forgive me? It's a very specific movie that t- again takes place in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, also doesn't really try to get too cutesy about like, look, the nineties, right? uh, look at this enormous cell phone or, you know, any of those kinds <laughs> of, you know, sight gags. From what I saw in the trailer, it, it almost, because right now is such a throwback to the nineties right. aesthetically, it almost feels like it could be contemporary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it kind of does. Uh, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's like out of time. Like mm-hmm. it feels very immediate when you're watching it. Man, can I tell you about a weird thing that happened last night? Yeah, I was at a show, uh, Shannon Shaw uh, oh. show with our friend again Heidi, oh. um, and we're at this show, and there's this couple in front of us, and the couple is, uh, they're young, they're probably they're like early twenties, and they look exactly like a photo of Heidi's parents dating in high school what the guy has this like sub blonde like sunny bono like haircut with the with like the mustache and he's like rail thin he's wearing like it like 70s clothes like an army jacket and the woman has like you know curly hair um all like i don't I can't even think of who like maybe like loretta lynn no like linda who had curly hair um barbara streisand okay uh it like this it's as though you pulled them out of time wow so it's like so if you took a photo with them right of them right now last night and put some like Instagram filter on it, mm-hmm. you would it would be indistinguishable between now and a, and a photo in the seventies. Yeah. So then I was thinking, are, are these ghosts? Are you thinking? No, uh, they're not the, ghosts. Is, they're like hipsters. Is it the My So Called Life Halloween episode? They're little. They're little hipsters. Wow. So at some point, they are. Can you imagine seeing a photo? If they have kids, they have kids. <laughs> The, the photo uh, that their kids will see right. is where their parents will look like their grandparents, like our grandparents. No, our parents. It, the whole thing is super fucking weird. It's like fashion inception. It doesn't happen. Can you imagine like looking yeah. at a photo of your parents and thinking that they look like they're from the from like the 40s or the yeah. 30s? That would be insane. Yeah, it is very funny whenever, uh, yeah, since fashion is in that kind of cyclical 20-year repeat cycle. But that's only uh, recent. Like, Well, I mean, I feel like, no, like the 90s were all about like 70s fashion. Uh, and then the aughts were all about 80s fashion. Uh, and, and then before that? Before the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like when you go back and look at 80s movies, there's a lot of 80s movies that are taking place in the 60s. And the 70s had like American Graffiti, which mm-hmm. is about the 50s, and Greece, which is about the 50s. Mm-hmm. And so, before that? Well, listen. <laughs> it only, but I'm saying it only it goes, goes like yeah. two cycles. Yeah, right. Because, yeah, I think it took, yeah, it took until the 70s uh, for, um, there might be movies from the 60s that take place in the 40s. Probably there are because of all the World War II movies. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it took until like the seventies for there to, for <laughs> pop culture to already start cannibalizing itself to mm-hmm. that extent where it's like, okay, we just start repeating things from 20 years ago. So weird. Um, anyway, and sorry, now, and now, and now it's full fledged, full fledged. Uh, so it's true. Maybe they yeah. were time shifters, you know, and I don't know, do you feel like you've ever personally fallen, uh, into those kinds of fashion trends whenever they have, uh, they've come into play? No, never. Yeah. No, you've never been. Uh, you've never been like, oh, it's the '90s. I'm gonna dress like a hippie, or I'm gonna dress like a disco dancer. You know how I feel about costumes. No. <laughs> well, it wouldn't have been costumes. It would have been actual fashion. No, it's still always like kind of on the edge. I will tell you that I did once wear um, in the '90s in an attempt to be fashionable. Um, I decided to like raid my. Oh God, was it just my mother's closet? It's um, a whole different story. And um, and I like got this pair of bell bottoms that she had. And I'm thinking it had to have been, yeah, yeah, no, it would have been her. Because I remember I was in the junior high by then, and my dad was already out of the house. So I w- got this pair of bell bottoms. I put them on, and I, maybe she just loved me too much to say anything. But I remember uh, putting them on and being like, oh, well, technically they, they fit. And they were sort of, they were like a, a cotton or a linen. Um, and they were high-waisted and skin-tight. Uh, and I just remember like wearing them to school and I'm um, having like a tucked in shirt and being like, look at me, I'm doing fashion. 
and um and it didn't go great mm. and um and i wore a giant oversized red coat every day from that point on mm-hmm, uh, because mm-hmm. uh, i was so traumatized by having my body having been put so on front street wow. by those bell bottoms all just trying to be fashionable so that's the last first and last time i ever tried chasing a trend like that <laughs> and now of course the weird thing for us in our generation is that this is the first time that it's a trend that we vividly remember have from the first time. Right. Because the same... we, we don't remember the 80s as much because we were little kids. Mm-hmm. The 90s, we remember vividly. Too vividly. And uh, and so this is the first time that we're now experiencing that, that 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 cycle being like, oh, look, like here's some 20-year-old wearing something that I would have worn, you know, just on any given day. And like, I hated it then. Like, mm-hmm. I think of the, like, those little, like, cotton t-shirts that have, like, the ribs in them, like the Delia shirts. <laughs> I hated those at the time and I see people in them now and I was like, you fucking are you kidding me they were terrible then they're terrible now <laughs> so dumb That's tough. anyway okay so although i'm very talking happy, about i'm very happy that the 90s are back musically though i'll say lucas that. hedges lucas hedges yeah plays a plays a yeah just trash box hottie that i would have been into in school and uh yeah so you know it's just this is a fairly small story it does get um kind of surprisingly after school specialish um in its final stretch mm. um and um you know in the movie is also not like it does not depict this group of friends that he makes as being flawless and perfect mm. like it shows the ways that like they kind of are toxic and you know it's definitely about you know toxic masculinity and it's onset at the beginning of puberty and and the ways that maybe like they really can hold each other back by just being such assholes to each other all the time shitting on each other's dreams and things Mm. like that um so you know but all in all uh it's just yeah it's just really finely observed you can tell it's sort of like a yeah it's almost it's like jonah hill's ladybird is basically what Ah, it is and it's mm -hmm. also from a24 so gets the 24 uh stamp of uh, uh excitement wow in what ways do you think that this movie s- sees s- struggle in a way that's relatable now? It's relatable in the sense that for me personally, I feel I'm still always just trying to win over the approval of people who I think are cool mm-hmm. um, and to find acceptance and to find like, you know, and I think something that you don't always get prepared for growing up is the extent to which like you will still always have to be making new friends. Um, you know, because mm. people move on, people mm. move away, um, you know, and then you're right back to square one being yeah, like, nerd. I have to make new friends, right. <laughs> As a nerd. And, uh, so I feel like that's something that's just timeless and universal and knows no age. Mm-hmm. Just that sense of like meeting new people and being like, oh, I want to be friends with those people. Will they like me? Mm. You know, are they going to accept me? Um, you know, and then, you know, just performing your personality different ways around different people and mm. maybe trying to prove that uh, you are not this person that you, this version of yourself that now you look back on with distaste and resentment. Mm. And you're like, oh, well, that was a weak person. You're like, that was a week ago that I sang at that wedding. <laughs> I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> I'm not Josie Grossy anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Kudos so, you. so I feel like that's, uh, I feel like those are the relatable pieces of this movie. Um, what are you giving this one? Oh, this is a binge it. Really? It's a binge Wow. It. I was surprised that the third uh, skate movie would get a binge it. The, yeah. The impression that I get, you know, from the trailer is mm-hmm. that it's like, it's super cool. And it like. Well, it's an A24 trailer. So, of yeah. course, it seems that way. Fair. Uh, no, this is another triple T. It's another TIFF top 10. Damn. Ding, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I guess you have a busy week ahead of you. Um, mid-90s is rated R for pervasive language, sexual content, drug, and alcohol use. Um one quick thing about this movie that I am aware of is that they did like a campaign uh, and so I use Spotify and there was this whole feature where like you click on the link and it, it opens with like a video by Jonah Hill explaining mm. to you the soundtrack mm. and then it and then it links to the playlist of the soundtrack and mm-hmm. the soundtrack is, you know, it's supposed to be like A plus mid 90s. It's like Tribe Called Quest. Oh, yeah. Um, who else is on there? I don't remember. Bands like that, and 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 bands like that. No, I think it's like Meat Puppets. There's, you know, it's kind of all all over the board in terms of things that would be interesting to a bunch of young skaters. Yes. Um. So I've been trying to listen to that in my in my spare time. Nice. Um. But anyway, back to movies. No more about music. (laughs) The last movie we are going to take a look at today is Wildlife. Fourteen-year-old Joe is the only child of Jeanette and Jerry, a housewife and a golf pro in a small town in 1960s Montana. Nearby, an uncontrolled forest fire rages close to the Canadian border, 
And when Jerry loses his job and his sense of purpose, he decides to join the cause of fighting the fire, leaving his wife and son to fend for themselves. Suddenly forced into the role of an adult, Joe witnesses his mother's struggle as she tries to keep her head above water. You just saw this one, huh? At TIFF. <laughs> you just saw this one also at TIFF. This was literally the first movie I wow. saw at TIFF. So it was, it was 42 movies followed it. Let's see. So this is like, you're like, oh, this is the one about the yeah, uh, I was, I Steve McQueen. I just went back and reread my Twitter review of it to uh, uh, jog my memory. You found it. Interesting. Um, yeah. What? Did this make the TIFF top 10? Uh, it was in contention. It didn't quite make it, but um, but uh, it, it was in contention. Wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what was there? Did you have a number one pick this year that we already talked about? Uh, Hate You Give. Hate You Give. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was my number one from TIFF. We're just blowing through them this year. Yep. Um, so, Wildlife. Uh, this uh, seems awkward. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. It, it really takes you, um, you know, on, on an emotional journey that is pretty uncomfortable mm. um and i think any uh you know any child of divorce uh any child whoever had to be sort of like the fixer between their parents i think will find a lot to connect with mm. uh in this story um it's a uh, so yeah paul dano directed mm. this and you talked to him about it did and um and then he co-wrote uh, it's an adaptation of a novel and he co-wrote the adaptation with his uh longtime partner zoe kazan mm. Um, and, uh, and she lent a lot of, I believe, uh, the sort of the voice and shaping and, and complexity to the character that Carrie Mulligan plays, mm, uh, who mm-hmm. is the wife and mother. Um, and Carrie Mulligan in this, it's, it's a must-see performance from wow. her. It is just, I mean, she can do no wrong. Um, and she is, she is stupendous in this. She is, it's sort of, you know, we, this sort of regressive conversation about likability when it comes to female characters. She is very aggressive and bold and fearless in not even trying to portray this character in a way that makes her likable or relatable for men. Mm. Um, she just goes to the darkest corners of this character um, and plays it all without flinching. And uh, but with also without any judgment of the character whatsoever. Um, so this is this sort of this story kind of overlaps a bit with mid-90s in the sense that it's also about um, you know, coming of age in the teen years, and it's also about toxic masculinity mm-hmm. uh, because essentially, so it takes place in the '60s, in the '60s in Montana, and uh, and you know we have this this boy who I think is maybe supposed to be like 14, uh, and his parents are Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal, and uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal loses his job fairly early on. So we see in the beginning that the car- the family seems to have just like the perfect nuclear '60s family thing, mm-hmm. um, but then there's you know some cracks start to show when Jake loses his job. And um, and then he basically has this crisis of masculinity where he's like, I'm not providing for my family. Um, and then, you know, Carrie's like, well, I can get a job. And he's like, no, you're not going to do that. And um, and then she starts trying to help him and he just starts to feel sorrier for himself and sorrier for himself. And also is like, also there are things that I won't do because I've got pride. Um, and so he kind of, you know, torpedoes his own family, um, by being so obstinate and so stuck on his idea of what a man's supposed to be doing for his Mm. family, um, to the point where he essentially goes on what people think of as a suicide mission and just joins this army of sort of like, basically, I mean, I know you don't like this word, it's kind of more accurate here, hobos, um, to go fight this, this forest fire that's been blazing forever wait it's not like a it's not like a fire brigade it's no it's like, they, like a they, volunteer group it, it's basically a volunteer group of men where it's like we have nothing else we have no jobs we have no means and so if we go and like live on this basically like near this giant fire we'll get a place to sleep and they'll give us food and we'll just fight the fire all day so yeah and then no money goes back to the family um, I'm trying to remember if he sends money back to the family or not. Like that's not part of the arrangement. It's not like to take care of them. It's to. It's sort of like just feel like a purpose. Oh, it's wow. it's mainly he's like he's like I need to go and do this, and um and Carrie Mall Carrie Carrie rightfully feels intensely abandoned, uh by his choice to leave her and their son behind to go off and you know do the suicide mission. Um, that shows disregard not only for his own life, but his family's. Mm. And, um, and so then we just kind of are watching her through her son's eyes as she 
internalizes and absorbs this stunning betrayal at the hands of her husband um, and then goes out and tries to figure out ways to keep her keep her and her son afloat um but it's not she's not plucky while she's doing it this isn't mm, this isn't mm-hmm. like a you know she's like well here we go dum, 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 bum, bum. you know she right. is she goes into a fairly deep depression and uh and and has to do some compromising things and um and and all the while this like this poor boy that has to play the teenager he just has these big sad eyes he's just watching all of this happen um but uh but it all it's all you know it's based in this great novel and so it's all very literary and all mm. very in these like just great details and um you know never goes over the top or anything and uh so yeah so it's just about this family unraveling and um and the different roles that the parents feel like they're supposed to be playing versus the ones they wind up having to play do you feel like this movie addresses Jake Gyllenhaal's character with any sort of like mental illness or um, do the um, changes in his life? Beyond toxic masculinity. Right, right, right. Uh, no, I mean, I think that it uh, it sort of shows that he, it really is just more about just mid-century masculinity. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And he is just, this character is just a great, great embodiment of that. Um, and of, of, you know, he's he's really great at making you feel his character's frustration at his own impotence. mm um and um you know in his pride and you could just picture he's like picturing his father being disappointed in him mm-hmm. for not providing for his family um so uh and and jake gyllenhaal is, is supporting in this movie it's more carrie's story um oh, since, since jake leaves for a big chunk of it uh so um but so this the 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 villain here is the the structure the, the patriarchy in general and how it affects mm-hmm. all of the players within right it. the way that you know that his jake's sense of of you know what is required of him as a man um to be considered a man a proud man um in society and carrie's sense of what uh well you know it's a combination of her sense of what a man's supposed to be doing and then also the lack of structure in place to help her then become a breadwinner mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. for her family uh so the you know the lack of jobs that are available for her especially in a place like montana mm-hmm. um in the 60s so is there a lot of tension between the two or is this kind of like, do they separate early and, and you're kind of taken on the different, different paths? Jake leaves um, probably toward the end of the first act. And, uh, and then it's just Carrie and her son mm. for a long time. Uh, Jake does come back. Mm. Um, Ooh, spoiler. Yes. Yeah, so he does not. Well, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't, he does not perish. So he, mm. he does return to the story later on, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's mainly more about, um, yeah, the, this teenage boy and his mother. What do you feel like uh, are other movies that you really enjoyed Carrie Mulligan in? Um, I loved her. I mean, we all fell in love with her in, in Education. That was mm-hmm. her star-making role. Before that, I think she'd already done Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley. She was great in that. Oh, right. My mm-hmm. personal favorite performance of hers is probably in Shame, opposite Michael Fassbender as oh. his sister. Mm. Uh, she was terrific in that. Um, you know, I was going back because I thought I was going to meet her at that meet and greet. I'm um, not going to get back into it, but I went back and but I went back and like looked at her filmography and like she has not made a bad step. Like, and she doesn't do she doesn't do franchises. Like the closest she ever came to making a mistake was she did the Wall Street sequel um, oh, yeah. with Shia LaBeouf, who she was dating at the time. Oh, um, interesting. So it was a combination of missteps. That's a um, and then I mean she like, the Suffragette movie was not great, um, and oh. she was in that, um, and that sort of obviously made some steps just tone deaf wise um mm-hmm. with its marketing but no i mean she's oh um she was in never let me go that's another mm-hmm. movie i love um so yeah i mean she's she comes through every time i'm probably forgetting some obvious ones but um yeah so and this is this is this is a this is a time capsule carrie mulligan performance in this and this is uh the the before this jake gyllenhaal was in the brother sisters where right. i found him incredibly charming right. and uh riz ahmed in that movie is just such a uh, a suck of your energy and attention that mm-hmm. it, that it's flattering that jake gyllenhaal was at all memorable i think <laughs> and and he was and yeah. and compared to that how do you find he's so good at the uh these old this western who knew i J- wouldn't think of him as a western well, I will remind you of a movie called Brokeback Mountain. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. There are three now. Or there are three uh, now. At least. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is just hands down one of the best actors working today. Mm. He has been for a long time. You know, uh, he makes bold, adventurous, risky choices. Okja. And, right. And he always comes through. And uh, and he is, he's outstanding in this film. Yeah. Um, it it reminded me a bit of his Brokeback character. It was almost sort of like, 
if he played Heath Ledger's role in Brokeback, mm. that would be because there's mm. more of like because his character in Brokeback was like like the joyous one, the right. one who like wasn't as constrained by ideas of masculine behavior, whereas Heath was so like frozen over with that internalized kind of like self-loathing. Um, yeah. And um, as, as he brilliantly portrayed. Um, so it's almost like this is Jake playing that character. Mm. Um, right down to like the leaving to go uh, up into the woods for a long time. Yeah. If he was at that interview, you should have asked him that. I know. If you learned anything from Heath. Anyway, Jason, this didn't make the TTT. What are you giving it? It's still a binge. It's still a binge. Wait, did we just get a triple binge? We got a triple binge. Wow. He nailed the triple binge, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Tens all around. I, Jason. <laughs> um, you America does hate you. Um, <laughs> wildlife is rated PG-13 for thematic material, including sexual situations, brief, strong language, and smoking. Well, uh, <laughs> that's it for this week, Jason. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to, uh, you know, subscribing isn't even really a thing anymore. I mean, it still is. I mean, I mean yeah, for well, Apple, it is. If you haven't subscribed and you're listening to this, how did you even find it? Well, but if you, you will subscribe or you're not going to subscribe because I say subscribe. But however, <laughs> if you're listening to it and you haven't subscribed, please do. Okay, subscribe. Because <laughs> that's the only metric Jason knows how to get. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's also the only one accessible. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough about us. Um, Jason also is on Twitter and apparently Instagram with the same handle. Yeah, excess baggage. And I am at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.